Uh, we will be reading Romans 8. Um, I'd agree with Matt, the best uh, chapter in the Bible. Um, uh, Romans 8, chapter 18 through to uh, 25. If you guys want to flick there. Chapter 8, verse 18 to 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself might be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes for what he has seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Yeah, there we are. Um, When we say that Romans 8 is the best chapter of the best book of the Bible, this is the sort of thing that we're talking about. Um, It has been said, it's been been described as the Mount Everest of Scripture. If the book of Romans is the Mount Everest of Scripture, Romans 8 is the summit. And on the summit climb, we are now meters from the top. And what a view, right? The glory which is to be revealed to us is not worth comparing. That's where we're going to get to. Um, But before we do, here's a thought. Um, Earlier this week, I was going for a run, which is something that I like to do. Um, uh, I was running through the the, the bush near my house, uh, along a trail, no one else around, at just the right time of day, when it began to rain. Um, This summer, every time it has rained, there is about an 80 to 90% likelihood that the reason for that rain is that I have decided to go for a run. Um, On this day, the rain was not... What's that, sorry? Stop running, yeah. Aren't you enjoying the water, though? Is it? Yeah. yeah, that's right. We got the dams are full. You're welcome. Um, just the right time of day, though, right? When the, when, when the rain's not, not too intense, it's not, it's not soaking my socks to the core, um, but the greens of the trees become really vivid and start to, start to pop. You get those, those beams of light piercing through the clouds. I'm exercising, but the temperature is, is, is perfect. Um, the, the birds are singing in the trees. Um, and I found myself praying while I ran. Prayed for some of the people of this church, prayed for Berenice, um, prayed for some of the things going on in some of the other local churches, pretty much what we were doing this morning. And then simply I found myself turning to praise. Lord, this is beautiful. I like this world that you have made. You feel that sometimes? I like this world that you have made. Um, fallen though it is, there is a beauty here. And if, and if, this, if this broken world is this lovely, 
what must the world to come be like? Free from the curse of sin. This is what we're reading about in Romans 8. Uh, Last week, we gave our attention to some very sweet promises. God's view of us. That in saving us, God hasn't just forgiven our sins or restored our status, but that he has drawn near to us. He has made himself known to us. And most precious of all, he has adopted us as his children. We have become the children of God. That has so many implications. Um, But what that passage brought to the front of our minds is that we are co-heirs with Christ. This This is God's generosity towards us. That he has chosen to share his plenty with us. This is what we can expect God to do with us. He delights to meet our needs and to call us his own. This is how our heavenly father treats his children. He hasn't just accepted us. He likes us. He loves us. I hope you found that encouraging. And I hope that, you're, uh, that, you, that you experienced the blessing of knowing that to be true even this week as you tried to interpret your, your experiences of life. Uh, there is a, a change of mindset that happens for those of us who are in Christ um, that's so useful when we approach God, how we expect him to treat us, how we pray. What comes next are more wonderful promises of comfort that streak, that, that, sorry, that speak to um, a concern, which uh, if you think about it for long enough, all of those prior promises raise for us. There is a, a fly in our ointment when it comes to considering God's very sweet promises to us. Have you noticed, I'm sure you have, that God's children still suffer in this world? God's children still suffer in this world. And the question then becomes, when we hear a promise, like the promise of adoption. How is it that we are to reconcile that with who we are as God's children and his attitudes towards us? How do we we reconcile um, these two things? It seems to me that this can be one of the biggest challenges to our trusting God like we should. It is not infrequent that I'm asked these sorts of questions as a pastor. This theme is going to keep coming up a bit in this chapter, and that's good, because it's really hard. It really needs to be dealt with. We suffer in lots of ways. We suffer just like everybody else suffers. The world is broken and bad things happen in it and they happen to us. We are not free from the sufferings of this world. They don't just happen to us. They happen to those we love. Sometimes that's harder. This is the reality of life in this fallen world. Other times we suffer specifically because we are Christians. We suffer on account of our witness or our faith, following Christ comes at a cost. To follow Christ, as we just heard, means that we need to, in in the previous passage, we need to suffer with him in order that we would be glorified with him. Suffer with him in order that we would be glorified with him. That's where we ended last week. These are realities that we need to live with daily, and how are we to reconcile those with all of the promises that come to his children? On the one hand, We are God's children. He delights to meet our needs. Your father is going to lavish his abundant love and blessings on you through Christ. And over here, we need to suffer with him in order to be glorified with him. How do we we hold those things together? Sometimes when life is at its best, we don't think about it all that much. And life is often at its best in this part of the world. And then there are those days or those weeks 
or those months, or even those years, where this kind of talk in the Bible seems very, very urgent. We have to reconcile these realities, or we are going to live very confused and distressed lives, and hopefully we're not going to wait until the moment of need before we try and learn these lessons. This will be more helpful to you if you learn it now and carry it into your distress from the beginning, rather than trying to learn this while you are distressed, though it can be done that way. Romans 8 has got enormous amounts of comfort for us in that specific wrestle. Um, This passage is going to show us some more amazing promises of future grace, which should be coloring our present tense experiences, or at the very least, our interpretation of what is happening to us. How are we to understand what is happening? And where we're going to end today is a call for perseverance. A call for perseverance. Actually, let's start at the end. This is the goal. Everything that we're about to read is going to be leading us to this destination. This is where we're trying to take our faith. This is, this is what mature, robust faith can look like. This is a promise for you. This is where the Lord is leading you. Verses 24 and 25 of Romans 8 say this. For in this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here's the goal. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like, if I can have this, if I can have that kind of patient hope, um, I think that that's going to that's going to have some effects in my here and now. I want to have that hope during the trial. I don't want to be during the trial thinking, it's hopeless. That sounds pretty dark. I want to be in the trial thinking, things are going to get better. I have hope. Where we are being led is to a place where our confidence, which is in a thing which we cannot presently see, is so strong that it produces patient hope in us. Our confidence, which is in a thing which we cannot presently see, is so strong that it produces patient hope in us. Hope which endures all things. Do you feel that? If we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Our hope is in a thing which is not presently in front of our eyes. If we can have that, that's going to change today. It's going to change our priorities. I'm going to live in light of my hope. It's going to change my feelings, or at the very least, cancel them. It's going to change my ambitions, what I plan for, what I try to achieve in life. It's going to change my motivation, why I do the things that I do. And it's going to give me comfort and strength. If I have a confident hope that the better thing is coming, that no matter what the present looks like, I can be patient. That's what we're getting to. So what is this invisible thing for which we are waiting? Brothers and sisters, how good does that thing have to be to deliver that? Do you know what I'm saying? Let's, let's loop back to the beginning and, uh, and, 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 and walk the road that's going to get us to that destination. What we see first in this passage 
is the, the nature of our future hope, the destination, the, 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 the substance of our future hope. It comes to us in Romans 8, 18. Mm. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is the sort of verse that I was talking about that best to learn this now. Because if, 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 you're, if you're on that dark day and someone brings you this one and you've yet to be convinced that this is true, it's going to be less than helpful. Right? I don't want a, kind of a, a, a casual reminder to remember this from someone who doesn't seem like they love me very much on my hardest day. But I do want to be able to depend on this on my hardest day. What we have here is a promise for Christians specifically. That's the first thing we need to see. A promise for Christians. We need that context in mind, right? This hope is for all who've come to Jesus as Savior and Lord in the way that we've heard in, in Romans um, 3 through 5. If you are yet to do that, if, if you're here today and you're, you're visiting with us, but you're not yet one of us who's, who's chosen to follow Jesus in this way, asked him to save you. Um, then this is what you're learning. This is what we gain by coming to Christ. It comes with costs. This is one of the chief benefits. This is what you will miss out on if you reject him. We, we, we looked at something very similar to this a few weeks ago, didn't we? We talked about the hope of glory from, from elsewhere in the Bible, but it bears repeating. I don't think we can, we can hear this one enough. Just for a moment, pause with me and dare to believe this is true. It's an easy thing to read, right? It's a hard thing to believe. On the one hand, over here, we have the sufferings of this present time. They're many and varied. There are days that feel pretty normal, but then we have those darkest of dark days and for some of us, those dark days are worse than others. We don't all suffer the same way, but we do all share in suffering in this present time. Those we care about, even those we've never met. You're suffering in this world. It is a constant. Every day of your life, suffering has been present in this world. So let's take all of that and put that here. Now, on the other hand, what we have is the glory which is going to be revealed to us. Do you remember how we define glory? It's something like, something like, this is a terrible definition, it's the best I've got. I'd say on short notice, but it's been like months now. It's something like the value and worth of the person of God being revealed and perceived, right? Who God is being displayed, his significance, God revealing who he is and all of his majesty and us seeing it and knowing it and loving it is him being glorified to us and in us. 
We'll get into the details of what that means in a moment, but the short version is the glory which is going to be revealed to us is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to us in the time when we finally get to go and be with him and see him and know him even as we are known right now by him. That's the glory which is coming. That is the life which we are going to live. And so here is the comparison that Paul encourages us not to bother making. Over here, the sufferings of the present time, as dark as the darkness can be, and over here, the the glory which is to be revealed to us, the eternal hope that we long for. No contest, says the apostle. No contest. It's It's not a difficult... We don't put this on the scales and it does that comical thing where the, the, the scales kind of, they backwards and forwards a little bit in the cartoons, which is actually be impossible until they finally find an equilibrium. No, on one side of the scales, things hit rock bottom and there they stay. One of these is weightier than the other. A day is coming for God's children, which will be so great, so filled with glory that every single moment of the pain and suffering from now will be an obvious worth it. That is enormous. That is quite the promise. How good does that glory have to be for this to be a no-brainer? Dare to believe it. The dark of today is really dark. And the glory of that tomorrow must shine like the sun. How much better does the light of tomorrow have to be that we would dismiss the distress of today is not even worth considering. I haven't seen a glory like that yet. That's, that's, what I, that's what I've got to conclude, isn't it? Like, I haven't seen that yet. Because the distress of today seems pretty real and seems like it matters quite a great deal. Some people in the history of the human race have had glimpses of that glory. And what did it do to them? We think of Moses on Mount Sinai. God, let me see your face. God replies, no one sees my face and lives. But I'll let you see the back of my head, basically. And the creator of all things parades his presence past Moses, hid in the cleft of the rock, declares his nature. The Lord, the Lord, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in faithfulness, slow to anger. That encounter shapes the rest of Moses' life. Forty years. Forty years of grumbling in the desert, leading a people who didn't want to be led. Know what you're thinking? I know how he feels. (laughs) Forty years, I am convinced, I am convinced that that one day, those brief moments in the span of a lifetime is what sustained Moses in the desert. Do you understand what I'm saying? When the people were grumbling yet again, when the people were turning to idolatry, when the destination wasn't in sight for decade after decade, he could remember the back of God's head. <laughs> the nature of the one who was declared to him. That's where I'm going. Okay, let's do today. Not worth comparing. You feel it? 
Jesus was transfigured before a few of his disciples, not even all of them. The 12 apostles, pretty significant guys, right? It's like three or four of them are on the mountain with him before he goes to Jerusalem. Peter was among them. They'd lived with him. They, they, they had traveled with him. They had eaten with him for years at this point. And suddenly on the mountain, the, the, the veil of eternity just, just lifts. Just an inch. Just an inch. And they catch a glimpse of his glory. And Peter is still talking about that moment years later. How, how often? How often in the life of an apostle? How often during all of the, the trials in the book of Acts? How often as, as, as Peter stood before the Sanhedrin, risking his life, talking to the same people who a month beforehand had crucified Christ? Where he points the finger at them and says, you, you killed God's anointed. I think that was Peter. It might have been Stephen. In 2 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter talks about it. This is years later. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory... This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Glory sustained him in hope. And if a glimpse, if a glimpse of this glory can do that to a person, what must the real thing be like? It is beyond imagination. What we see here in Romans 8, just, just, just to sharpen that hope just a little bit, is two kinds of glorious transformation which have been promised to us as our sure and secure hope through the grace that comes by Jesus. Each of them is worth giving our attention to. The glory of God is going to be revealed in both of these ways and others. Here are two specific applications of the glory of God. The first is we have hope in the transformation of this world to glory. And the second is we have hope in the transformation of our own bodies to glory. The transformation of this world and the transformation of our own bodies. Let's look at each. The first is the new creation. This is what Romans 8 has said to us by way of reminder. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. If you're in the habit of remembering biblical phrases, remember that one. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's yours. This is your hope. Creation is, 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 is itself is, is going to be set free from its bondage to corruption, and it's going to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, says verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. What is he talking about? If you hadn't noticed, this creation, not just, not, not, let's, let's, let's take our eyes off people for a second and, and put our eyes on hills and trees and stuff. It's fallen. It is broken. It is in bondage to corruption. This world that we live in, beautiful though it is, in bondage to corruption. The Bible's description of this is that when, right there in the beginning of our Bibles in chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam and Eve fell into sin. They rejected God and became sinful. When that happened, not only did the human race become corrupt, but the whole of creation. The Lord had placed Adam and Eve in the garden as the, as the custodians of creation, the, the, the only ones who were his image bearers in all that he had made, which was good. When Adam and Eve fell, God cursed not only them, but everything. We read it in Genesis 3, going from verse 16. You know how like, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of good 3.16s in the Bible? John 3.16, that's a cracker. First Timothy 3.16, I really like that one. Genesis 3.16, not so much. Right? To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply, multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Very sorry, Catherine. You were just telling me about that before the service. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because of you, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you were dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the curse. Cursed is the ground. It produces thorns and thistles. Cursed is the womb. Pain in childbirth. Death, returning to the dust from which we were made. All of these things are not part of God's natural created order. That is not the way the world was meant to be. That is not the good world promised to us in Genesis 1 and 2. They are the results of the fall. We do not live in the perfectly balanced eternal garden. We live in a chaotic and degrading shadow of the world that God made. This is not how it should be. The, the world that we live in is subnormal. So, so often I've heard um, atheists describing, you know, the, the, the bad things that exist in the animal kingdom and the, the illnesses and the sicknesses that cause people to suffer. And they say, if, if God was good, why would he make a world like that? It's like, just read the Bible. It's not the world he made. This is the fall. It's broken. It has been corrupted. 
Not only has it been corrupted, <laughs> Romans tells us it's been subjected to futility. Futility. Do you know what futility means? <laughs> futility is the worst thing. It's the thing that I think I hate the most in all the world. Different personalities, this is my unfavoritist thing. It's when you have to do the same thing again and again and again without getting anywhere. That is futility. The farmer, think of him. The poor farmer. In Australia, we love the farmer, like the farmer deserves. Because the farmer beats back the thorns and thistles to put the ground to work and feed us. And after the farmer has finished fighting the glorious battle, (laughs) waging war on the spiky plants that you can't eat, what happens? They grow again. Because the water that feeds the food plant feeds the weeds. Just, just, just yesterday, I was in the garden pulling out cobbler's peg the size of me that wasn't there three months ago. And you know what happens when you pull out a cobbler's peg? The seeds fall off. And three months from now, I will be pulling out that same plant. Futility. Futility. My worst job ever, other than this one, was, was when I worked as a trolley boy have mercy on the trolley boy, right? I think they, they have got such great conditions now, by, can I just say, compared to back in my day when the real trolley boy was king. I, I hated this job. I hated it. My job was to, to collect the irritating metal carts of death that can do all things but drive straight forward, to take them back from the car park to the shop so that people could bring them back to the car park again and I could push them to the shop. And like the never-ending in and out of the tide of the ocean, so goes the trolley. Never, I might add, never, never into the dedicated trolley bay from whence it would be easy to collect, but rather into the garden in front of the car where it must be difficult to get in because it sure was difficult to get it out. You know who you are. Futility, you trolley vandals. Unrewarding work. Meaninglessness. Drudgery. This is the world that we live in, divorced from eternal purpose. Broken. The whole of creation was subject to futility. The farmer pulls the weeds, the weeds grow again. The the builder builds the house, the house decays. The plumber puts up the waterproofing, don't bother. But how is this for a promise? Jesus isn't just saving us. He's not just saving you from your sin. The promise of the kingdom of God is a new heaven and a new earth. The whole world made new. The whole, the whole creation liberated from the corruption which has held it in captivity and futility. We did a whole series recently on the afterlife and how it be a physical reality. You want to jump on our website and go hunt it down. I think it was called Heaven. Isn't it? You, can, you can look this up. Whole, a whole series on this. Part of the glory which is going to be revealed to us is a world made perfect, filled with the goodness of God Absolutely free from the corruption of sin and its effects. Can you imagine this? You can't. It's fun to try. When when God's will will actually be done on earth as it is in heaven. When things like door locks 
cease to be necessary. When, when policing will be an extinct occupation. Poor farmers. No more thorns and thistles. Poor no more. Rain when you need it. The world working as it should. The imagery here given to us is childbirth. It's fitting considering that it's a prime example of what went wrong in the fall. Creation itself is, is personified as, as, as groaning. Can you hear it's like it's can you hear it? This 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 the, the dirt that you are standing on. Because in this form world, vacuums don't work properly. It, it, it's groaning with longing. This isn't right. This is not what I want. I want the better thing. This is unpleasant. The creation itself is, is groaning with longing. It, it, it is the unpleasant. We live in the unpleasant, suspenseful beginnings of labor. Longing for the reveal at the end. Ta-da! That's the good bit. That's not where we live yet. We live in the cramps and the pain. When thorns and thistles are no more, what a glorious day. When this world, which seems so solid and so important to us right now, seems slight and transparent by comparison. That's the day we long for. This life that you have known, this, this thing that seems so substantial and so important, is the prologue of the novel. It's the, it's, it's the short paragraph before the first chapter. The book is yet to come. Can you imagine that world? I can't. It's nice to try. <laughs> let's, just, let's, just, let's just keep going through this menu of glory. Here's the next one. The, the next part we see is that we are waiting for the transformation of our own bodies. Romans 8.23. Not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We get that imagery again, don't we? Childbirth. This time, it's not the creation which is groaning. It's us. Specifically us who have the first fruit of the Spirit, those of us who are Christians, who know that the better thing is coming. We live in the uncomfortable tension of wanting the better thing and yet having to wait for it. We are children on Christmas Eve, not allowed to open our presents yet. We are the mother, waiting for the baby and knowing that between here and there comes all of that business. We are waiting eagerly for what he calls here again, adoption. Even, even though just a few verses earlier, just the, the sermon from last week, he was using that word very differently. Please don't get confused. We have already been adopted very clear in the previous passage. We have received the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, present tense, Abba, Father. God is already your father. It's not that you're waiting to be adopted. But here adoption is used differently to describe the fulfillment of the promise of our new bodies when we get to be with him. We wait. We wait for that day. Here's the promise, Christian. 
you are going to get a new body. A body made new. The, the glory which is coming is of a sort, understand, which would kill you today. This is, this is the world that you're going to live in. The glory which is coming for us is of a sort which would kill you. Were you to encounter it right now? That's what God said to Moses. This is why God said, no one sees my face. Specifically, no one sees my face and lives. But in the New Testament, what do we read? The apostle says, we will see him face to face. We will know him even as we are known. And it won't kill us. We will do that forever. And so there is something about God's glory now, which were we to experience it in the present tense, would be fatal. And we will spend eternity delighting in it. Which means that in order for you to cope with the joy of the glory of heaven, you're going to need a new body. You're not ready. You need to be made ready before you can experience that kind of eternal delight. What you need is a new body. We need new eyes. It's promised to us. Have you ever tried looking directly at the sun? I don't, I don't advise it. It will damage your eyes. The light of the sun is too intense for your body to take in without coming to harm. Isn't that weird? The light of the sun is too intense for your body to take in without coming to harm. And yet, at the same time, you have never seen anything but by the light of the sun. One of you will say, my phone has a torch. Stop ruining my illustrations. Right? You have lived every day of your life in the light of the sun. You navigate it by it, even at night time. You can see at night because the light of the sun is reflecting off the moon back onto the ground again. You need it. Without it, the plants don't grow. Without it, your body doesn't produce the right stuff. You get locked indoors for too long. Medical things go wrong. And yet you are not yet capable of enduring the source of so much life. See where I'm going? So it is with God's glory. We need a new body before we could survive it. You are not yet capable of enduring the kind of joy that is your certain hope. But the day is coming when you, when you will receive a new body and you will be capable. We read about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall all be changed. For this perishable body, you know what perishable means? It means it's, it's like what happens if you leave the meat, the leftover meat in the fridge for more than three days, right? That's what your body is doing. It's perishable. It doesn't last forever. This perishable body must put on the imperishable. It must. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
which means that on that day, on that day, all of the suffering I have endured in my body today will be worth it. That's the promise. On, on that day, all the suffering endured by creation itself will be worth it. The suffering that I experience in my body today is part of, somehow, God preparing me for that day. It has a meaning, it has a purpose, and it has an end. And in this hope we are saved. We get to our destination. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? Do you feel what he's saying there? It's, it's, it's the obvious thing. If I already have it, hope isn't a category that's necessary. I don't hope to get things that I've already gotten. I don't hope to see things I already see. There is something which is in the present tense, invisible to us, that has not arrived yet, though it is beginning. That we wait for. But hope has another ingredient, which is certainty. Certainty. What makes Christmas Eve exciting is that when the sun comes up again, it's Christmas. So it is with this life. If we hope for what we do not see, do you hope for what you do not see? Do you, hope for, do you know it's coming? Are you sure of it? Have you been convinced that the same God who has said, come to me and be saved, is the God who said these things to you? This is his destination for you. Do you hope for it? Do you wait for it? Because if you hope for what you do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is where patience comes from. This is where patience comes from. Patience comes from the certainty of the destination. I can be patient because I know it's coming. And I've got, I've got an inkling of what's coming. My imagination, <laughs> in the present tense, isn't good enough to fully conceive of what that day will be like. But I believe it. So I, I, can, I can wait. I can wait. I can be patient. What we end in is a call to the perseverance of faith. Really, there's, there's, there's two kinds of people listening to this today, ultimately. First is believers. Brothers and sisters, children of God, this passage is a call for you to persevere in the faith, to run and not grow weary, to not give up halfway to the destination, to not turn around and go back to the place that you came from, to not give up, to keep running, to keep trusting, to keep hoping, to keep praying, to keep enduring, to keep serving. To be patient. To not let the distress of this moment crush your hope, but rather inflame it. Why don't you do this? This week, even today, even now. I, I'll get, I won't get upset with you if you close your eyes now. It's hard to tell anyway with the masks, so. This week, spend some time 
pausing from your busyness, pausing from all the things that your mind has been focusing on and giving its attention to, and for a period of time, give your mind to consider this, the future glory, which is your certain destination. The assurance that is yours in Christ. The blessedness of the life that you are going to live forever. In a new world, with your new body, with him. Give it your attention. And let it have its effect in you. Let it take the worries and the concerns and the complaints of today and put them in their proper perspective. And watch, watch, watch as they grow smaller and your joy, your joy grows bigger. <laughs> if tomorrow you find you need to do it again, do it again. Persevere, because it is coming. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't depend on you. It's coming. So wait for it. And wait well. One, one, last, one last thought before, before we pray. Um, I must, I must, I must put this invitation out here again. Because the other, the other kind of person who is, is listening yet is someone who is not yet a child of God. So, you know, you, you've been coming here for, for who knows how long. You've heard, <laughs> just even in the last two weeks through the book of Romans, some of the best promises that God has to give of what it is that, that salvation through Jesus produces in our life. Patient endurance, joy in suffering. These, these things are, are not small. These are some examples of what you stand to gain if you come to God. I have to say as well, it is God himself who would have me say to you that this invitation is for you. He, he, he is the one calling you. He is the one inviting you. God himself would have me let you know that all of this is, 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 it can be yours because he is willing to give it to you. That is the very reason why Jesus came to this earth, to, to save the lost. He has promised. This, the, the same God who has promised this future glory has promised all who come to me are saved. Which means that if, if you come to him in faith to be saved, you will be saved. And you will be a child of God. And you will have the confidence of this future glory. Following Jesus comes with many costs. This is what makes those costs worthwhile. God is willing. God would be delighted to share this with you and to transform your today and your eternity. You have but to ask. Let's pray. Father, I think the problem with the kinds of, of promises that we have been reading together today is that I'm just quite incapable of imagining what it could be like for them to be true. It's, like, it sounds great. It sounds great. And I can't, I can't even conceive of what it means. 
understand my suffering. But it is really, it's really hard for me to understand glory. So we pray that you would do a miracle here today. That you would open the eyes of our, of our soul to, to perceive even a glimpse. Just, 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 just the smallest part of who you are and the world that you have for us to live in and the bodies that you have for us to live in it in and what it's like to not have to endure your glory perilously, but to bask in it joyously. By your spirit, we pray, would you awaken our appetites, not to, not, not to long for less things, not to become austere and, and, and joyless in self-denial only, but to long for the delight of eternity, to long for the fullness of pleasure and the unending joy that will be ours forever. Father, I am too easily distracted. I am too easily discouraged. I am too quick to despair because I am blind without your help. So open my eyes and open my ears and open my hearts to hear the certainty of these things and to know that they are already mine. as a matter of certainty. Spirit, I pray that you would produce patience in us that would grow from a confident hope. Father, I also want to pray for those of us who are here today who are yet to have that hope. Well, perhaps there are some even now who are thinking that Today is the day. Today is the day when I hand my life to God and receive his salvation. And I want to pray with those people today if they would pray with me. God in heaven, I know my need for you. I know that without you I am lost. I know that my life has been lived to this day in rebellion against you as the Lord of all things. I see my sin as sinful, and yet also I see Jesus as gracious. Your Son is able to save me by what he has done. And God, I ask that you would, even now, give me the grace that comes through Jesus alone. Fill me with your spirit, the spirit of adoption, and make me your child. Give me the guarantee of this future hope which transforms my life today. Make me yours and you mine. In Jesus' name we pray.